0: Welcome. Welcome. Welcome everyone to the Wild Ones Podcast, where we work in love daily. I am your host, Chris Cox, and we are back with a great episode today. And my guest today, she is a licensed professional counselor, nine years of experience holds a PhD in counselor education and supervision and a supervisory of counselors in training. That's a lot of school. So if you don't understand it, that's a lot of school and she earned that doctor in front of her, in front of her name. So make sure you use that. Address her by that wonderful accomplishment uh, that she was able to earn. Uh, my guest also has experience working with children, families, couples, and people living with various mental health and behavioral conditions, including severe Persistent mental illness. Uh, she's able to engage in humanistic and integrative approaches and helps guide clients in learning new tools or identifying present strategies to make positive choices. So I would love, love, love to welcome Dr. Nkem to the show to the wild ones because she's a wonderful person. She is a wild one. She is working in her love daily. And let's all welcome Dr. and Kim to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Mr. Christoph. Um it's so great to be here. I truly I truly am honored to be here um, and getting interviewed for this. It's not something that I ever even considered doing because I'm just doing what I feel comes naturally to me and I've been doing it for a while now. So, but I don't take for granted that, you know, every time we hear about a particular profession, um, it gives us some insights and education as to what we could possibly do. And I say this for listeners, um, I know I appreciated it as a child when I heard what other people did in various professions because we need exposure in order to grow.
0: Yes, very much so. And representation matters. Some young girl watching this, seeing you with your uh, with your natural hair, which is very beautiful, and seeing you as a professional and seeing you going through school. It, if you've never not seen yourself represented like that, you don't understand how important it is when you do see it and how life changing it is. So I'm very proud and thankful that you're on the show because you are representing what our next generation of little black and little brown and our Asian girls and our Native American girls can be as they grow up and as they try to navigate life and figure out what they want to do. So thank you again for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for that. I actually appreciate you mentioning um, images and seeing images of ourselves or mirroring of ourselves. You know, I, my dissertation was actually, um, I use a theory called cultivation theory, um, theory in my dissertation. Um, this is where I study the effects of self-concept based on watching reality television, because I was really curious about how adolescents, older adolescents, were forming their concepts of self based on how they view themselves and what they were watching in these reality TV shows. Um, You know, and there was some significance, but at the end of the day, there is a slew of research that dates back even before cultivation theory. There's so many different types of social learning theories that have taught researchers that images actually do matter, that diversity that we see does matter. Um, there's actually something that I tend to utilize when I do teach here and there. Um, it's a very short read that I recommend to everyone who works with human beings. We sh- people who are in counseling, therapy, psychiatry, we should not be the only ones held um, to the responsibility of learning how to work with human beings because we all interact and connect with each other in the world. We're all interconnected but there is a list it's called um, unpacking the invisible knapsack and um, by peggy mackintosh and i truly i believe it was created in the the or written in the 1970s somewhere around there and with that within that particular read there are examples of how she talked about herself stepping out into the world and what she realized that she was able to do and take for granted and she talked about how she could turn on a television and know without a doubt that she could see images of herself because she is a white woman, um, without hesitation. She could walk into a boardroom knowing that she would not, she would not um have trouble in seeing images of herself in a boardroom. Um, there are so many different examples. She even talked about the band-aid example, which has greatly improved, you know, because with time as is hoped and expected, we improve in society. It, with the Band-Aid um, issue, she talked about how she knew if she purchased a Band-Aid that was named a skin tone Band-Aid, it would match the skin. Whereas many people did not have these same certainties in life. And these were things that could easily be taken for granted, which is actually one of the reasons that understanding privilege could be so difficult. If it's not your lived experience, then you would have a difficult time understanding it as reality.
0: Right. Because as we've known, and as it's been a very hot topic the past couple of years uh, with a lot of people, when they don't live an experience, like you said, they don't think it exists. Like, well, yes. that doesn't happen to me. So therefore yes. right. I don't believe, or I'm not going to validate what you're saying. And then yes. that leads into that back and forth, if you've been on social media, right. <laughs> that is that is the crux of the back and forth. There are people right. of color saying, no, this happens to us when Absolutely. police stop us or when we go in stores. And usually the first sentences typed are, well, I've never experienced that. And it's almost like,
1: well,
0: I'm not e- yeah. yeah, I'm not even going to dignify. Like, you're lying because this never happened to me. Right. Yeah, but you are not the only person in the world. So... Yeah, very, very it's a difficult
1: conversation. It's a difficult
0: one. It is. And it, it's one that needs to be It one that continues or needs to continue to have. But also the barriers have to come down because yeah. what I've learned in, in doing this and talking to people is. Everyone says, especially, you know, people, we're liberal, we all want to be the same side, people. we need to all come to the table. We need to all come to the table. But if we can't get past what we don't like about the person in front of us, you're never going to listen to what they have to say. Like if you don't connect, like you said, we're all interconnected. If you don't connect with that person on some other level, other than the disagreement that sits between you. That disagreement is only going to get bigger it is not going to decrease because i have no connection with you i nothing you know and i i take when I, I like um uh military history and a lot of quotes that soldiers who have been in combat have said it's like you know what me and this person probably could have been buddies we probably could have went fishing together we probably would have been real cool but I had no connection to you other than this difference We're at each opposite ends of the barrel of a rifle. Right. So it's easier for me to disconnect from you to yes. lay harm on you right. because I have nothing tethering me to you. And right. I think if we want to all come to the table, then we have to find something that tethers us to that table other than the disagreement. We have to, okay. even if it's taking five minutes to just say, you know, tell me about your favorite sport. Tell me about your day and ho- finding a gem of connectivity. And then I think people will start to realize that that process of working through those disagreements become easier. But yeah. not everybody's willing to put the shield down, so to speak, and and have that. So that's that's very hard. I know I've come across that and just talking with different people and also living in, in rural America, living in middle America. That's a definite <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, getting past people's shields. Um, Or what they tend to put upon their shield, such as Mm -hmm. it it, it, it can be difficult. But I think if more of us do that, then we'd have a lot better discourse than Facebook and Instagram arguments.
1: (laughs) I agree, which we should do less of. But yes, and the pressure should not only be on the people who are experiencing the disparity. Yes. Yes. You know, there needs to be more pressure um, from where I've, yet to know because i'd love to solve this world problem yeah um considering (laughs) that this really stems from our our history not just as a nation but in civilization Um, but there needs to be more pressure on these people who are putting up these barriers more pressure to engage in self introspection process and asking themselves why Um, and just asking themselves in what way Is my encounter healthy, not just for me, but for the world? I know that we don't really all engage in very collectivist thinking in that way. I do tend to do that. You know, what I do when I'm out in the world does not only affect me, it affects other people. But perhaps there needs to be more education about that. It doesn't have to be about race, but it it could be because I don't believe that it's always going to be about that. There's also socioeconomic um, status, SES, right? There are so many things um there are many so many different types of biases, but it's going- it's really about the core of it. Why do you need for there to be some sort of difference in what way does that youhoo you how does that help you in any way, and can you move beyond that? but I guess we'll wait and see,
0: yeah, hopefully you know after. The young ones listen to this. We'll have in the next couple of years uh, a scholar who will come up and figure this out. But at this point, it's beyond me. <laughs> I know. I know. But I I want to ask a question. I want to get into your journey. And I want to do a full disclosure. Uh, Dr. and Kim and I, we know each other uh, from... We've known each other for a very long time, but this is the first time we've actually spoken to each other in very long. I'm not going to throw the year out. We threw it out earlier before the show, but I'm not going to throw the year time. out. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to do that because I'm like you know, I'm mad. I know that we don't throw years around. <laughs> we just say long time, medium time, but we do know each other, so there is a rapport, and I, and I so I want to be full disclosure with that. Uh, but I wanted to ask you is what set you on your journey? To mental health?
1: Oh, that's a good question. And I wonder even if my answer is truly the answer sometimes. I do remember when I was a child in elementary school and I was asked what I wanted to do. I was asked this twice. I said, the first time I said doctor. And then the second time, which, you know, to joke around, I am a Nigerian person. But in my household, I've never been pressured to do, you know, the whole, you must be a doctor engineer or a lawyer. I have never heard that. So, you know, that is actually a unique experience when I hear, but I do know it's prevalent in in my culture, you know, because we come here usually to get an education. And I say we, because I am an immigrant woman. That is one of my identity markers. Um, And so when we come to this country, to the United States, it's to get an education. And we have this belief that in getting an education, that we can create a foundation and we can be successful, whatever that means and whatever that looks like. Um, I I know this, but it's not something that has ever been put upon me. So the first time I was asked, I said medical doc, I said doctor. And the second time I said psychologist. I don't know what changed (laughs) in between. then. it could be classes. Again, exposure is everything. Um, And I do remember a particular class in high school um, where I became really fascinated with psychology, because I took a psychology class. Um, I never thought that I actually would follow through and stay in the mental health field. And it just seemed to work fluidly that way. Um, Not fluidly, schools that can, in that way. But for me, there are so many various factors. Um, You know, I don't volunteer as much as I used to. Um, I don't do that recently. Currently, I do realize that my impact when I work with the individual to progress in their mental health, and then they return to the world because we're all interconnected. Connected, I am making an impact in that way. So for me, you know, it's not. I feel as if I am making some sort of impact by changing. We're not changing by supporting an individual because we're all valuable pieces of a cog, and each healthy. Heart creates a healthier whole. And that's how I see it. You know, should I continue?
0: Yeah, keep going. This <laughs> okay. is all about you. Let, <laughs> I
1: guess. This is like about Bronx. you.
0: Let us know.
1: <laughs> okay, cool. Um, you know, I came to this country when I was really young, but I do remember my home country of Nigeria. I remember living in Lagos. I even have very faint memories of my the village that my mom is from, abriba Um, I remember my grandparents' home. Um, I actually remember living in a compound. The last place we lived was a, they call it a compound back home. Here you would call it a gated community uh, because it was what I realize now were, were there like three or four townhouses and there was a gate and we all knew each other there. We all interacted with each other there. Nobody else could just come in and out it was our properties. Um, you know, and there's so many parts of my journey um, when it comes to that. Um, my ideas, my journey in this diaspora, I guess, as you would call it, um, I actually still maintain contact with my maternal and paternal family. Um, and as I said, I was never encouraged to go on this journey. I was specifically told to always finish what I start to work as hard as possible, right. but I was always a dreamer. Um, So I guess I always wondered what else could I possibly do. I do remember when I was in a car, my very first time, my mom was a flight attendant. And so I'd been to America a few times um, before we actually moved here. And I remember the very first time we were, I think, in a cab and I was looking on the road for gold. Because I remember someone telling me that the streets were filled with gold. I'm like, what? what is this? You know, I was just so disappointed.
0: <laughs> that <laughs> like man, Not like that is. I would
1: take it, but it's just, I want to see shiny gold yeah. streets.
0: <laughs> you, uh, you know, what's amazing you know? about that is I okay. have, um, I have heard that a lot of times. Like one, I've seen, you see it in movies and I've heard yes. that exact thing in movies. Yeah. Like, you know, when I came here, I looked in the streets for gold because, so-and-so told me there was a line with goal and then yes. my wife who's an immigrant uh it was very similar with her parents and not that it was line with goal but it was it was the pinnacle of where you wanted to be
1: absolutely that was and a meeting yeah yes, we the, didn't know that as children no, yes <laughs>
0: but it was the pinnacle of where you wanted to be and yes. I, I just want to say you said something it was a letdown and it's mm-hmm. like imagine you got let down as a child so you kind of you think back and put yourself in your parents' shoes and you're like, yes, this is a pinnacle, but it's not, you know, everything that glitters ain't gold, you know? And you're like, wow, how hard must it have been for them to mm. come here mm. and see the real, the desert of the real
1: and of what it
0: is and then say, okay... I'm going to take my lump of concrete and I'm going to make it into my village. I'm going to make it into something that flourishes. Yes. So I just, because yes. it, it, I've learned that more and more. I'm, my grandparents immigrated from St. Vincent on my mom's side. So yeah. I have a small, very small understanding because I didn't get to hear all those stories. Yeah. But it is in my family. But being connected to it now on a larger scale, it's... So uh, it's very gr- it's very grounding and it's very mm-hmm. meaningful to mm-hmm. say, OK, because you can't imagine it like I'm going to leave this place where it's comfortable. I have what I need. I have made right. a life. I am flourishing. Right. And I'm going to take not only me, but my little ones and possibly right. other little ones, uh, nieces and nephews. I'm going right. to take them and then we are going to take our lump of concrete. Because when you come here, that's what it is. That's
1: what it is. <laughs> especially,
0: if you, especially if you're in the cities, if you're in, mm-hmm. you know, New York or something like that, you lump of concrete and I'm going to make it flourish and I'm going to yes. turn it into my green space. And, then, you know, the kids are the petals, the kids are the trees, the kids are the leaves that bear fruit. So, you know, you never got pressured, but, you know, you've you've borne incredible fruit through your journey so far.
1: Absolutely. I feel as if all my experiences um, culminated into who I am um, in some way, how I see the world, particularly in some way. You know, you talk about parents and how they must have perceived, um, you know, coming here, migrating in comparison to what may, may have been their expectations. You know, I'm sure my mom had way more reasonable expectations than I did as me five or six (laughs) years old um you know and my stepfather um at the time but you know i'll i want to mention something which is funny um with the whole streets paved with gold thing and that ideology of course we know it's really about the opportunities yes you know there's i will never take for granted the fact that in the united states there are so many more opportunities to not just thrive or survive in some way, um, actually, and survive in some way. You know, I don't take that for granted. My late aunt, um, she called me as soon as I, she found out that um, I got my bachelor's degree. And, you know, she she was joking with me. This was a joke, but, you know, I'm sure there's a seriousness in it. She, and she's like, oh, and damn, congratulations. You're going to start sending me money now? <laughs> 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 and so oh, it's something... <laughs> You know, when it comes to opportunity, I don't take that for granted. You know, there's some things that were, a- many things we're able to do in this country. You can walk into a hospital, be homeless. Of course, you don't have health insurance. You will still be seen. What happens afterward, of course, you know, we have the privilege of saying we can do better while we are here. we you know, we have that privilege because of what's happening now. We, we're not here and then say, okay, we can do here. We're here and we're saying we can do here. Um, but at the end of the day, you can still be seen. Um, and I have experienced the other end. I've experienced family members who have passed away from the simplest thing and and they can go to a hospital and the hospital won't see them until you pay them money. You know, I had an aunt who passed away because she went to what was supposed to be a private hospital from. Um, she was having severe pain from her fibroids, which. Many people know fibroids are very common amongst Black women. And this is, she was she couldn't take the pain anymore after so many amount of years. This is my youngest aunt at the time. And they did surgery. She started losing blood. They did a blood transfusion and they ran out of blood. And hmm. this is where they transferred her to a general hospital and she died on the, what well, they were trying to, she died on the way to the general hospital. Oh. These are things that we take for granted here in this country. And I don't think, and I, something I want to shed light on. So there are certain things that, yes, we're, we're doing really right. And there are some things that we can do way better with.
0: And then with mm-hmm. with that, I was going to start with that and into your mental health journey mm-hmm. and working with people. So you've got the bachelor's degree. You kind of mm-hmm. set out. You've done both. You work in in in, in kind of not let's say Well, it's psychology, correct? Um, ca- uh,
1: mental health counseling. Mental so, health yes, counseling. I worked under my yeah, I, yes. My doctorate is to teach. You know, it's an academic PhD. So it's to teach. It's also to supervise. So with my doctorate, I am able to be tenured, okay. as opposed to be an adjunct. Got it. So that grants me that, and to supervise people without needing any of the type of certifications. But yes. So. Mm-hmm.
0: You are the boss.
1: <laughs> I guess. Um, I, sometimes. Um, <laughs> there are some people in my life who are the boss of me, and that's fine. don't need to be in charge all the time. But, you know, going back into my DS4 experience, you know, it taught me to be humble. You know, this is leading me where I am. Um, I do remember, you know, we, my, my mom was a flight attendant, as I shared. And I had the opportunity to go to Hong Kong, to go to London a few times, to go to a, a few places. She went, of course, quite a few more because that was her job. So I had this opportunity to really travel, you know, the world, you know, to a certain degree with her. Um, and then we came to this country when she did decide to move here, which was a blessing. Um, and we slept in someone's living room. We all slept, it was four of us, we all slept in someone's living room. for I don't remember how long to be quite honest with you, but that's something we needed to do be, before we were able to get on our feet and then move into a studio apartment. Then we moved into a one bedroom apartment, literally, these were the steps, then a two bedroom apartment, you know, we were making it, Um, you know, things are a bit further along than that. And, you know, but I don't forget those parts of my journey. I also don't take it for granted, you know, when people feel as if like, you know, they're stumbling, they're not doing enough, you know, when it comes to just the immigrant journey itself, that it can have certain parts of trauma um related to it and just stress there's so many things we need to consider for me as a mental health profession that we need to consider when someone walks into a session there are many different reasons that someone cussed out their boss today you know is this something that just happened today or are there other interrelated reasons that have really compiled into this one day that you have been repressing we know what else is going on. That's really what, where my journey has led me to. Um, I don't take for granted that other things you actually talked about it before we, um, before we started, right. um, yeah, I don't take for granted that somebody else may be having something else going on in their life that we're not seeing because we can't presume that everything that we see is, can be taken at face value. Um, it's quite harmful because we would also want to be fully seen in each of our experiences. Yes. You know, and my mom, you know, she has a quote, you know, that she used to say, you know, this is really not related. You know, she used to say, cut your coat according to your size. Hmm. Um, and I always loved that particular quote when it comes to humility. Um, it's something that has taught me, you know, I don't have to have the biggest. I don't have to have the best. I don't have to live in the best place. You know, I, it's really about gaining that internal peace. And with that, I also come into a session room with that um, for my clients, you know, a client, you may be reaching for the stars, but maybe we can actually work one step at a time. Right. Um, Even if you don't gain the stars, what else could look like and feel like the stars for you?
0: That count. Yeah. What, what fits for you? What works for you? Not what may look like it works right. for somebody else, but that's right. what fits you? And right. I, it's so hard because that's a lesson. It takes a long time for a lot of people to learn because you yes. constantly want that um, adulation from other people. Yeah. You want yeah. people to think that you're doing well. You want that status. You want people to recognize what you're doing.
1: Or you may want it for yourself.
0: Yeah, or even for yourself and to yeah. make you feel better. But then you right. realize you're like, but that don't work for me. Like, I don't mm-hmm. need uh, when you, you know, when you, when you're an adult is, or like when you kind of understand that is when you're like, man, if I, when you're little, like, man, if I get rich, I'm gonna have a house with like 20 rooms. And then you, you've been paying bills for a couple of years. You're like, I'm not how, how much do how much is the how much is the, the, the electricity? Yeah, who's gonna pay that? So you talk <laughs> about all of my utilities is gonna cost me right. fifteen thousand dollars a month. It's right, like, right. nah, I'm gonna get this little duplex. That's
1: right.
0: And I'll be okay, but it fits you and that's your size. That's right. Um it, so we've we've gone we're on the mental health route. You have taken that route, you are uh moving through and and you're capturing goals and you are in this field now that notoriously is a taboo in communities of color. Yes. How, I I mean, and again, if you're a person that's, um, if you are a Caucasian, if you're a white male or female, and it's a little bit more acceptable to talk about mental health health issues in general in your household and in communities of color there are code words for these things and it's not diabetes oh you got the sugar it's not it's not you have a mental health uh issue like bipolar no you she had an episode you know it's it's those things that get code worded and get coded and that's how we speak um amongst another. we don't even say on drugs you say on that stuff we're so taboo. We won't even want to say what someone's on. We just are not in on that stuff. And, and we, we continue to dance around the topic. So Mm -hmm. you knowing that and understanding that, how has it been navigating mental health as now a professional Mm -hmm. with, you know, within the community of color, within clients, within your practice, within schooling, how, how was it navigating that? Because that must have been eye-opening as a student coming up and, and hearing or seeing or dealing with this.
1: Oh, you brought up student. Oh, and something <laughs> up popped up in my mind. Oh dear. Um, so maybe we'll go there, maybe you won't. But either way, and I did love, you know, most of my journey, I will say. Of course, it's gonna be challenging at times and You know, we, there's so many different personalities, so we're all gonna get a little mix of everything, which is understandable. You just don't stay there, you move forward. When it comes to, you know, you talk about certain languages, which really speak to the denial of mental health, which is so unfortunate because that's a trauma within itself when you deny someone their experience, their feelings, their distress. and with these particular code words, these code words, I am highly aware of because you know I grew up in this country, you know, for most of my life. Um, and oddly enough, you know, Nigerians or Nigerian Americans, we don't use those particular words, you know, unless you know it's entrenched in you based on how you grew up. But the same denial is still there. Um, there are some places in Nigeria, some, you know. I guess you would call it backwater villages, but some villages where, you know, if a child is thought to have some sort of mental health disability, that child will be abandoned in the streets. You know, it doesn't happen luckily often, but for me, the real problem is really not the child, but there's something going on with the mental health of the parent that abandoned them. Either way, there is a denial of the mental health experience. So I wholeheartedly agree with you. I've seen it. I've heard it. Um, luckily, there is improvement um, within the community of all of us, of the BIPOC community um, that wants to actually engage in more self-reflection. Maybe what I'm doing is actually maladaptive behavior. Maybe this is not me just being, you know, strong and showing up to the world, you know, however it is I was taught to survive. Maybe it's not so healthy. In fact, it's kind of exhausting. But there's an increase of the BIPOC population seeking out therapy. Um, It's something that I've noticed specifically since 2020 during quarantine, um, where there were just too, there were too many um, requests based on the amounts of people who could actually see them. We just could not meet the need. You know, luckily I am in circles or communities of other clinicians of color, and I'm, I feel soothed in a way by hearing about other people's experiences and same thing about seeing images of yourself. Um, It does help in not decisions that I make, but it does help in validation. Um, I'm not the only one who might be noticing this here, or if they share something that's like I've heard it all, that's really outrageous, like, wow, that can actually happen. so that has helped as far as the networking um, and being able to maneuver the spaces, but it has increased. It has, I don't, I, don't want to, I don't know if I should say improved because is it an improvement that so many people need? Maybe, maybe many people have needed prior to 2020, but 2020 was really just like enough pressure that they could not handle it anymore because you don't have the distractions like you used to in 2020. 2020 most people were stuck.
0: Yeah, you, They could you not were... do what
1: they wanted to. They could not talk to people they wanted no. to talk. They could not hug, they could not touch. And we need that, that um, closeness with people. We are, we are a society, human beings um, need contact. We do. We need contact, even if it's not something that we can outwardly admit to. Um, It helps us thrive, and our contact boundaries, you know, will always shift. And especially depending what's happening in your life, your contact boundary may lessen. It may be more rigid depending on where you are, what's going on. But we all do need contact. It helps us actually grow in the world because it's really about our encounter in the world to help us learn how to be more social. So that was a difficult moment, and I understood why there was an increase. And people reaching out, people within the BIPOC community reaching out. Um, but it was also a reminder that we need a lot more Black, Indigenous people of color yes. um, within the the field of mental health. It's something we greatly need, especially something, if I had thought about this prior, you know, I may have even changed my road, especially within the uh, psychiatric field. Um, You could even do advanced nurse practitioner, but we need people. Um, And I say that also, based on my knowledge from, you know, personal, professional experience, I will say, and just reading research, you know, when it comes to some diagnoses that are overdiagnosed, bipolar disorder is overdiagnosed when it comes to the black population, black male population, usually, but it is significantly overdiagnosed. And there is a textbook that I have always loved. Um, It's called Counseling the Culturally Diverse um, by Daryl Wing Sue and David Sue brothers. One I believe still teaches at Columbia University. Um, But either way, these, you know, there was just so many nuggets in there that were eye opening during my grad school journey. And something that always stuck with me was an example, an example of a man of color coming into a clinician's office and saying that they lost it at their job. They, you know, they just been angry for so long and they, you know, they threw stuff around, you know, some, that type of example. And turns out that person had been getting passed over for promotion it was something that was actually quite relatable if we actually sat and listened to the details it didn't just happen today there was a culmination of things before the actual events and that person and the question was do you diagnose this person um, with a severe mental illness or should we be diagnosing the sick culture and I think that was just such a I'm paraphrasing, but that was such a brilliant question to ask up and coming clinicians, because many people go bipolar disorder, of course, because he just, you know, lost it out of nowhere. We need to be very careful with that, um, especially because our diagnoses should be measurable. Um, we should, It's not just based on this one observation, and it certainly shouldn't be based off how we're feeling yes um that's where many people need to check themselves even in this field because we are still human beings we are humans before we are our profession and you know for me that's actually why i've always appreciated the fact that we do have to actually get into um cultural competency in the field of counseling it's mandated um by our boards um, and i wish that you know everyone had to do it because we all work with human beings it just makes you kind of you know look closer you know, and there's so many other things maneuvering this space. You know, I, before going into the other spaces as an actual counselor and some things that I've learned about, I will share about, you know, one experience um, as a student. I won't say what level. Um, I don't want to be too obvious about where this happened. <laughs> okay. Um, but I will say that I was awake. Um, and it was a learning environment, but I was also, it was really a teaching environment for me. I was supposed to be teaching um and you know, co-teaching rather with someone who was more experienced um, and seasoned, whatever that means, seasoned, um, than me. So I was learning from them, but I was also supposed to be teaching because again, my PhD is to teach, to counsel, and to supervise. Um, and so I need to know how to engage with graduate students that are, that want to be future therapists. So that was the role then. Um, and I do remember being told the second day, the first day I was engaged, you know, and it was just so fluid. It was amazing. And I, to this day, I actually still keep communication with some of those students. Um, and you know, I, 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 there are so many lovely people that I met within that particular experience. Um, And I don't regret any of it, even this one thing that did happen because sometimes you do need those barriers to say, okay, don't be so naive. Um, But I was, the first day was amazing. I clicked so well with students. Um, The second day I walked in happy and super excited to teach Um, with my annoyingly peppy self. And um, I was told you need to go sit in the corner and don't speak. And that, (laughs) that was something. That's the most I can say as far as a descriptive. Yeah, she didn't. I was like, can you explain why? That was really the most I said it because I was just so distraught as I was processing it. And I was going to do it. You know, at the end of the day, I told myself there are times when I have humbling moments. You know, it's not like I'm in some sort of military and this is not a drill sergeant. So I don't need to be, I guess, demeaned, you know, in this way. I don't yeah. need to be put in my place. She's actually supposed to be encouraging me to be the other teacher with her. But I'm like, you know what? I can actually sit in the corner and be quiet. I have no problem because it's, it would be less work yeah, if I did that. Though, if anybody knows me. I'm not about doing this work. Um, No,
0: you you went to school (laughs) for six years uh, for extra. After four,
1: yes. Um, After three and then, and before, and after four. So it was four, three, six. But either way, I sat in that corner, quiet, obedient. um, And I just began simmering. And I'm like, this is not who I am. I am not going to sit in anybody's corner. Um, And so I actually left. And I emailed the person in charge. I said, I'm leaving the program. i um, actually wasn't even in the state. I wasn't at home. And I was going to get a ticket and fly back home because it just wasn't worth it for me. You know, at the end of the day, maybe it was a a, um, a sign that I needed to embark on something else. Maybe I should have gone into psychiatry. Um. So you at the end of the day, I was not going to allow myself to be in a space where I felt demeaned regardless of what her possible intention was um and I actually got a slew it was you know quote-unquote I guess fixed you know I don't have any ill feelings towards that because I continued I finished as I was supposed to and I Really, the reason I don't have ill feelings is because I felt heard. Um, when I sent that email, um, I started packing. A friend of mine even called. That's where I lost it because I had been holding myself. I, I tried a little bit while I was with the students, not in front of them. And I went to the bathroom. I dabbed my eyes. I, I was not going to. I didn't want to ruin the experience for them. Yes that was my take on it you know no matter what's happening here I don't want to ruin it for the actual students because they paid to be here and you know they're actually excited they want to learn more about what I do because I was literally in the field and still am of counseling whereas the teacher was not I think that's where the issue was um so I had you know real time experience that they wanted to know about um but either way
0: I'm sorry. I was, I was just thinking it's like what you said when you, you didn't want to put that on to the students that you're with. It was kind of what you said earlier, where you actively think about what yes. you do and how yes. it affects other people. Other people. Yes. Um, and I want to I just want to applaud you, not necessarily for saying I don't want to put it on the students, but I want to applaud you for leaving <laughs> because so much of our experience, especially like the analogy you gave with the black man at work going off on his bosses that one day, and it comes with this is a compounded situation that has happened over time. We don't leave because we feel that's all, that's what we have. We got to make do. We got to just put your head down and work. Just keep working, keep grinding, and you kill yourself. You kill yourself doing that.
1: Literally.
0: Or you spaz out. Because you become the angry black man or the angry black woman and that people happen to see that day and not understand how the compounded interest of being demeaned, having your voice taken away, having your personality taken away, having everything about you that made you special taken away. But you stay there because you internally you kill yourself and say, well, this is all I can get and that. I need to do this. And then, so now you're mad at yourself. You're mad at the people and it explodes. Makes and it
1: worse.
0: I, I want to applaud you for leaving <laughs> before, because I'm going to assume this is before COVID.
1: Oh, this yeah. Is before this.
0: Thing. Yes. <laughs> and you were able to leave. You were able to look at it and yourself and say, no, no. You're not not about to do this to me. And you were going to leave. Everything got fixed. But I think had you stayed, I don't know if it would have got fixed. But Had you shown the fact that I don't need your program. Right. You were lucky to have me in your program. And I'm going to leave and go somewhere where I'm seen, I'm heard, and I'm respected. Then (laughs) it gets fixed. And I think that happened with COVID for good and for bad. Um, my, my father, my late father, my father would always say, when you are alone by yourself, you can't outrun your demons. Mm. When you are by yourself, you can be forced to think. That's why have you ever noticed people who always want to be around somebody else or always want to go out or never want to be around themselves It's because yes. they don't want to think about whatever's really going on. They want that distraction. And COVID Absolutely. took that away. And a lot of people... Had to deal with those. De- they had to finally, the dam finally broke and they were like, okay, I mean, they're going to drown or I'm going to figure out how to fix this. And with social media and more, you know, uh, more BIPOC actors, actresses, singers talking about mental health. Mm -hmm. that new generation helped. I think that's probably what's a lot sparking those numbers in the positive way. But, but then overrunning your field (laughs) in some sort and people saying, I got to deal with this. And then also on the other side, people saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to a real job no more. That's a real job. I'm not going to an office anymore. I'm not about to play office politics. I'm not about to be the angry black man or black woman. Yes, I am not about to say that this is it. This is the yes. only way that I can feed myself or my family. And so it's like for good or bad COVID had, there were things that you could take out of it that were positive. And I think that's the shift in the paradigm of, of offices. I agree.
1: And he I was agree. like, I'm not,
0: I'm, I'm not gonna let you talk to me like that. Yes. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna, because you know, you knew somebody or you, 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 you know, somebody, which is why you're where you're at and you're going to talk to me and I have X amount of, Certification saying I should be where you're at or over? No, right. no, 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 no. People's self worth has started to come up and say, "No, no, you're not going to talk to me <laughs> like you're not going to." Absolutely. Mm. But it's a trauma I, I, response. It, our parents would tell us, "Do what I tell you to do because I said it." It's, I'm guilty of saying that to my children, but it's a trauma response to say, "You when you go to work, you do what you got to do. Don't say nothing. Don't do nothing. You do what your boss tells you to. Do what your mm-hmm. teacher tells you to. Do what your coach tells you to." And you, it just gets ingrained in you. And you know, I just w- really want to employ strength at that time when it wasn't cool to stand up and say, "I'm not going to allow someone to take what makes me special away."
1: And so I thank you for that. It's always that's the most one of the most difficult decisions to do to walk away for some from something, at least for me. Um, but yeah, in the in that moment, I'm glad I did. You know, I, I'm also glad that the person who responded back to me said, no, that's actually not appropriate and had us all meet. Um, and it never happened again. You know, I'm also glad for, if, you know, if that particular person is still with that institution, I'm glad to have said something, not for myself, but whomever may be assigned to her in the future, if anyone is assigned to her um, in the future. So it's not always just for me. You know, sometimes, I think about just the process of speaking up, you know, in what ways is it worth it? Um, and could you be helping somebody else? You know, and you talk about, you know, the, the, I guess the scolding or the response of just do what you're supposed to do. That actually tends to be a generational thought process or mindset. Um, there are some generations, I think the generation equal before us and before them, you know, because they lived in the circumstance of survival. And the goal and the hope is that we move from survival to thriving, but thriving can look different for everyone. It does not have to be what you thought it was 10 years ago. So when you mentioned what people um, saying, I don't have to, I can't, I don't have to stay here. I don't have to go into the office. Um, Because, and I don't want to go into office because I don't want to deal with toxic environments. There are many people who had been saying that some still are, I understand it. Um, But then that also came with a shift of what their expectations were for themselves, because there is some sort of status for some people and going into work, putting on the suit and going into work for them. It's that part or portion is some sort of accomplishment. But maybe reframing our mindset that that doesn't have to be can allow us to thrive in different ways and spaces.
0: Yes. I, I put on the suit and realized after a while, I didn't want to do that anymore.
1: Right. I
0: didn't. I didn't. Right. I, I, I was a social worker. Like I said, I, was a, I mentioned before I was a social worker in Milwaukee and yeah. I, I worked with kids and I didn't want to do that. Like, and it wasn't like I had to wear a suit every day, but it was still too stuffy. And it was so many, it was so many restrictions and confinements of how to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was plans and things you can make. I was like, this is, we're just, we're recycling. There's got to be a better way to figure out how to help people, kids, families, whatever. Somehow, there's got to be a way to do it. And being where I am now, I'm happy because I don't I can wear a suit when I want to, mm-hmm. but I can help people the way I want to help people, the way I think it's going to get across to them. Right. And I can do it with my passion. I can do it with what's something I'm 100 percent passionate with. So like a late night doesn't feel like a late night or coming to work doesn't feel like coming to work because I truly, truly love what I do. And I think that's why all of us, when we're getting to the place where we are right now I think that's the the key. Money isn't an issue where you are, but I think it's just, am I happy? When I wake Absolutely. up in the morning, am I happy? Am I like, all right, yeah. I mean, Mondays suck, but okay, let's go to work. Let's figure this right. out. I got X, Y, and Z. I think that's the key. And with that, I want to ask, are you, I mean, you can't divulge. Every day you're not going to be happy, but is <laughs> is are you at a place Is the, is the coat cut to a place where it fits you and you are happy doing what you're doing?
1: Well, one, I will always cut the coat according to my size. size. I will always go by that um, saying, ask for my mom, always. But I think I am happy. I I, I don't want to say, I don't like to make blanket statements that seem definitive. As if there is a period, because I like to live life with a comma. Um, so I think at the end of the day, for the most part, I am satisfied. I'm happy because I also know there is potential. I will never stop learning. I'll never stop growing. There's always going to be more. Um, so as long as I feel hopeful and I always feel hopeful um these days, I do, Um then yeah. Do I recognize that there will be barriers at times if there are some things I want to do and my goals might change as well, which may make those barriers different and maybe unfamiliar? Sure. But today, absolutely. Tomorrow, most likely as well. <laughs> you know, it, it depends. I believe that For happiness, the definition of that depends on each person. What is it that you have in your life that makes you happy? And I only need very simple things for my, and it's not just about happiness. For me, it's about peace.
0: Peace. I need
1: very simple things to really be at peace. And that's, for me, the forever goal. And what I hope for my clients to attain as well.
0: And, and speaking of peace, I mean, you said you're at peace, and I noticed how that fits into the name of your practice. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to ask you about your practice, um, and you don't have to go into like super detail, but just about your practice, how peace and how the name of your uh, as I'm looking at it, how the name of your practice fits in with you wanting to be at peace, and what was it like when you made that that leap? When you made that decision to say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up my own thing. I'm gonna do my own thing, and I'm gonna do it the way I want to do it."
1: Oddly enough, it happened during quarantine, <laughs> like we were just talking about. Oddly enough, there was a lot going on then. Um, I actually worked in a correctional facility, so I've actually in that same. Um, position. I worked with inmates and I also worked with um, detainees. Um, They no longer keep detainees now, but I did, which was for me, very challenging in different ways, both personally, because I'm an immigrant um, and professionally, because my value system, you know, bleeds into my profession as well. Um, There's some things I'm not very open, you know, to do, but at the end of the day, I realized that my value within that position was simply to support the human being, regardless of why they were being held there. Um, Were there days that it was difficult when I, yes. Like if I came across an 18 year old that was detained and they talk about how they, you know, where they had been sleeping and the goals that they had. And I have people in my family who are the same age and very different experience, you know, it, that becomes difficult, but You know, when it came to um, opening the practice, that was definitely a point in life where I'm like, one, I also graduated in March of 2020 when I I think that's when um, the country decided to acknowledge COVID. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But, you know, that's when everything also shut down. So I had different goals. I did not... In, in 2019 I will say this I had no idea I'd be opening up practice in 2020 I didn't um I knew that I was getting a particular title that with the expectation with this particular credential and also learning experience but that's really more important than the title um I would be able to go into certain things I never thought about even virtual um the virtual component of work, I'd, I'd never experienced it. To be quite honest, I was actually quite snobby about it when they discussed it in grad school because they talk about it a little bit here and there, but like, nobody really does that. It was that kind of attitude <laughs> um, and here I am, um, but it <laughs> gave opportunity. But um, with quarantine happening, I, I became, actually, no, I graduated, I became Doctor in Campbell Capital in March officially. And by July, I was ready for a change. I knew that I needed something, but I wasn't going to wait for the world to open back up. Um, so I had to start thinking of what I could possibly do, but also recognize the work that I put into this. I I have all this new knowledge now that has um, that I've gained back to back from grad school to this. I don't want to lose that knowledge. Um, and I, of course, want to stay in the field. and then I thought about the practice and I've worked in community practice. I've worked in in-home, um, in-home with people, with children, really, um, when it comes to therapy, I've done various types of counseling therapy. Um, and this was a first, um, and I had a conversation with myself about limiting myself. And, you know, as we, as we get older, I, I would hope that you know, become more wise to the fact that we don't need to limit ourselves. And that was a conversation I had to have with myself. Like, you know what, you're at a point where you have nothing to lose if you open up this practice. And it's something that you know how to do. Um, you've done it for other people. You help other businesses grow. Um, but maybe it's time to actually help yourself grow. And if you don't, Enjoy it because, at the end of the day, with open your practice, you're self employed, you are everything until you add people to help you. Initially, you're doing everything. Initially, you're the one answering um, emails. Initially, you're the one, you're definitely the one billing. Um, that I haven't, well, no, I did let go with that. Um, initially, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, for some, yeah, for some type of billing, but. You're doing everything. You're the bill, you're the secretary. Yes. You are, and you also, and you have to be an expert in all of these things because for a company to thrive, you want all your employees to be successful in what they do as well, right? And you are the employee, you're an employer. So, but I, t- I had to talk with myself and, you know, it's something that I tend to do more often now. Like, you know, just practice what you preach um, and live, live as fearlessly as possible within logic, um, at least for me. <laughs>
0: Nice. I like that. Limits <laughs> fearlessly, but with logic. Don't just jump off the bridge and you don't have no way down. <laughs> like, right. Is there like a bungee thing? Like let, let be a little logical about things. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, so I did that. Um, and the name, the greater Zen, I think from even beyond then I've always been on a journey to maintain peace. You know, one of my childhood friends, you actually know this person, one of my childhood friends from high school. Um she gave me a book. I don't know where it is. It was a kind of a prayer book. I forget the name of it, it was a, a well known author. And it had some ex um, excerpts. Um, I have trouble with that word, excerpts. There you go. Um, in that particular book. And I remember, you know, I had already finished, I had been in such a mindset of like almost a robotic mindset to finish my research. When it comes to dissertation mode, it's a very unique type of mode. And once you're on it, you can just deviate, like you're on it. And I remember during lunchtime, I would actually be um, calculating my data um, anytime I could fit it in, it was usually lunchtime. I was calculating, calculating my data wherever I could find peace and quiet, which was usually rare. If I couldn't, I had to wait. But I also wanted to use my awake brain like because, you know, we're more alert during the day than um, late at night. Yes. So for me, I wanted to really take advantage of that. But once I was actually done, things were submitted. And I'm just waiting for feedback. I would take out that book that my friend gave me and I would, t- I told myself no matter what walk away, because I'm someone who's very accustomed to burnout. I'm someone, if I show up to work for you, I want you to utilize me. Um, because I need. I like feeling as if I am that, that cog like I talked about, right. That piece of the healthy whole. Um, That's, of course, again, within reason, there's things to do. Um, But I would do that to the point of burnout. You know, you didn't have to tell me to stay um, at work an hour or two after. I'd be there. Um, there's a point where I used to teach and I actually got locked in the building a few times. The first time it happened, I just, mm-hmm, it happened. Um, the first time it happened, I just, you know, finished what I was doing when I realized what happened. Because I'm like, they're going to have to come anyway. again what I'm doing. And <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, 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 <laughs> So you're just like, well, I'm locked in, so right, I might as I well mean- get this work done anyway. I might as well get it done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. If I make there's some things you're making the classroom prepare, um, and you you can't take it home where it's just too cumbersome. You want to just like spruce your classroom up a little bit if you're changing things up. There's some things elementary school teachers have to go through that I truly commend them for their service. Um, and so when I was done, I went down to the the security desk, put my feet up, and I called the uh, maintenance um, person that I had his number, and he came and he turned the alarm off and opened the door. Although it was learning experience for them, because then from now on they added me to their suite. So at the end of the night, they would check my classroom.
0: <laughs> That's great. You <laughs> yes. on the checklist? Wait, did you did you go did you go check missing Kim's room? She might yes. still be in it. Like you, you're the so new trainee. We oh listen, we got a new maintenance person. <laughs> so there's a teacher who stays here all night, Absolutely. and you need to make sure. Don't if you yes. do, you're gonna get a phone call. So don't lie. Go make the rounds. <laughs>
1: Yes, you know, and it just it was a a running joke. But, you know, I was I was also very blessed and highly feared. I was lucky to have, you know, the type of colleagues and those um, maintenance personnel that they were patient about it and they were understanding because they saw my drive. But it's really about that. It's about the drive. But with that, I also wanted balance. Um, And so I would make sure even if I don't take an hour like I'm supposed to, even if I don't take 30 minutes like I'm supposed to, let me, I committed to 20 minutes. And I would have a shake or whatever lunch I had, whatever it was. And I would read that book. Um, And I'm not someone who's extremely prayerful. I'm not extremely religious. But that book brought me peace. And it also gave me not just a task, but it took me to another place outside of my responsibilities that helped me be more introspective. So that's really where the name comes from. i have been on this journey for a while for balance and peace. And I wanted the name of the practice to reflect that. I'm glad you like it. It's a really long name. I try to shorten it with a greater Zen. um, I
0: I, I like it. I I like it because it's not the traditional, it doesn't scream. We talked about those cold words. It doesn't scream there's something wrong with me for looking you up and trying to get help. Again, it screams peace, it screams tranquility, it screams how do I make myself hold again? And it doesn't make you feel like you're going to the doctor. It doesn't make you feel like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. So the people that go, I don't think the length of that worries them any bit. I think they know what it represents to them. And it represents a safe space. And so I just, once you were saying, I'm all about peace. I was like, the light bulb for me went on. I was like, that's why. That's why the name is the name. Because you want to always connect it back to something personal to you. And so we're on the journey and it's never ending. Uh, mm-hmm. Dr. and Kim's journey will never be ending. Um, even though this podcast has to, I'm having such a great time, but I want to be very respectful and uh, uh, very aware of everyone's time. But I wanted to ask this one last question, and it may not be directed just to young and Kim, but just any of our young BIPOC listeners, female or male What's one piece of it, but I know it's hard to narrow it down to one. Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah. What's one, one A, two A? What's what's a, a group, a theme of advice that you would give to those young people listening now as they are starting or maybe in the middle of their journey or may have stopped and don't know how to restart? What's something you would say or a couple of things that you would say to them?
1: Okay, so this message would be both to the future therapist that's considering this and a possible client that's considering therapy. Um, one, and a, a lesson that I've learned for myself is, or in life, is that procrastination is the assumption you'll have the same opportunity again. So it's something to to keep in mind. It doesn't mean we need to jump into everything, but consider the procrastination piece. It's it's a type of self-sabotage. Um, and I'm going to deviate. You know, when it comes to this field, you know, there's so many things that you do learn, like, you know, adverse childhood experiences. We learned that, yes, your childhood does actually matter. Um, if we know that childhood matters when it comes to medical health, um, because adverse childhood experiences actually increases your chance of a heart attack more even. Than smoking does. And then smoking increases it. So we know that piece. There's also new research, you know, as per Dr. Joy DeGroy, who's a phenomenal social scientist slash social worker, um, who has written about Pete's TSS, which is the post-traumatic slate syndrome. And with that, it's it, it aligns very closely, similarly. With PTSD, the only thing is PTSD is truly about things that are happening in your lifetime, right? And right. with post-traumatic slave um, syndrome, it, these are intercultural phenomenons um, that is passed down between generations, and it can look like self-loathing. It can look like the numbness that we, you know, may see in PTSD. These self-destructive behavior that we may not even um, recognize self-destructive behavior, but to that, and in that same vein, in discovering these somewhat new things in research, I want to acknowledge those who are in pain and not acknowledging it for themselves. Your feelings do matter. Even if you did try therapy one time um, and you felt like it's not for you, maybe try another therapist and see if there's rapport there. Give yourself a chance to go from surviving to thriving.
0: That is great. That is going to be the title of this episode, uh, Surviving and Thriving, because so many people are always in survival mode. Yes. And it is. And I think that feeling of peace comes when you start thriving. Yes. So that is wonderful. Great advice. I wish I would have learned that maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, things would be somewhat easier, but I guess yeah. you have to go through it to learn it. Um. Oh, probably could have had some help
1: <laughs> yeah, that part no you but don't always have to go through it no and you should be commended for everything you have gone through and survived yes. and now that you acknowledge that you have you're ready for the next step
0: yes and now I feel like I'm thriving and there's always right. more to learn just like you said the journey is always keep going we're always That's learning right. we're always discovering ourselves. and That's I right. want to before I like final final send off I do want to say if anyone wanted to get in touch with your practice and is looking for mental health Health services, how would they get in touch with you?
1: Um, right now, I'm not taking clients, but okay. when I am, they can. And there's also a, so many resources. I made sure in creating the website that there are many, many resources for those who are considering but not ready. Um, or even if you are ready, maybe just want something to do um, congruently. Um, so there's a resources page on my website that I welcome anyone to at any time. The inf- information is free. Mm-hmm. um so please do go to the greater okay
0: hey, we heard it GreaterZen.com. help out find resources if you need because there is help out there for you because again you do not have to do this alone you don't have to just be in survival mode anymore like dr and kim says you can get into thriving mode and for the wild ones for working in love daily uh, I am Chris Cox. I am your host. I want to thank you very much, Dr. and Kim, for being on the show, for thank showing. You. your welcome, for showing everyone why you work in your love daily, your passion for your work. So much so that you get locked in buildings sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, helping and,
1: people think yes <laughs> and the maintenance
0: know you uh, you're part of the rounds but that's that's love that's passion that's mm-hmm. wanting to see that next generation thrive and succeed yes. and do better and go beyond and take their chunk of concrete like we talked to and turn it into a lush greenhouse and if there are more like you things would be easier those conversations we talked about would be easier so thank you for being you thank you for being a part of this and as always everyone thank you for listening you can catch the wild ones on apple Podcasts, on spotify podcast you can catch the video on youtube as well as on spotify and you can listen to us on google play as well thank you all have a wonderful day night evening whenever you're listening keep being wild and peace